Uh, welcome to this BTOG uh, podcast. My name is Tom Newsom Davis, and I am a medical oncologist based at Chelsea and Westminster Hospital in London. And I'm pleased to say also uh, vice chair of the BTOG steering committee. This uh, recording is part of our regular podcast series entitled BTOG Does, where we have informal chats with experts in their fields and tackle the most important questions that we all face in the diagnosis and the treatment of thoracic cancers. It is important to say that sponsors of BTOG do not in any way have any input to the planning, content or delivery of anything we are discussing. So today's podcast is titled BTOG Does Lung Cancer Pathology and it's a great pleasure to introduce Angeles Montero who is a consultant a histopathologist at the Withingshaw Hospital in Manchester and also a great supporter of BTOG and co-member of the BTOG steering committee. Angeles, welcome to BTOG Does. Oh, thank you very much, very glad to be here with you. Very glad to have you here. So um, pathology, I think, is the actual cornerstone of the MDT. I think you're the most important person in the room because it's really until you guys say what's going on that we can make any kind of decision about what we're going to do in terms of treatment. But I'm really mindful that often we, uh, as other MDT members, don't know very much about pathology. So we're going to get back to beginnings. Um, and I'm going to start with a couple of questions we often get asked um, by, by colleagues. Um, when we begin to think about biopsying someone, um, the often concern we have is that when you analyze a sample, you're going to say, there's not enough tissue. I can't tell you what's going on. So actually, how much tissue do you need to make a diagnosis of cancer or, or not of cancer? Um, it's, it's not only a matter of amount, it's, uh, it's a, a matter of, are we in the lesion? So um, some years ago, with a little bit of tissue, we could give you the diagnosis. The problem nowadays is that we, you don't only want the diagnosis, you want molecular. So yeah. um, it is not a matter of amount, it's a matter of quality, where you are and what you want, maybe. Gotcha. And if um, someone is collecting a volume for cytology, for example, do you have a recommended amount of that volume you would need? Is five mils enough? Do you need 20 mils? Do you need 10 litres? What's best uh, from your point of view? For cytology, yes. The cytology is uh, different to histology. So for cytology, I never thought of the amount of, of, of tissue you, you get. It, it depends mainly if you are in the lesion. Uh, maybe I am wrong. I, I, I don't know really the amount, but is the quality and cytology is really, really good. And the, the, the way we process cytology is totally different. So we have to be aware of that. And can you, that's, as, as luck would have it, brings me on to my next question. So how is the analysis of cytology and histo histology different in the lab? Well, what can happen? So histology is a piece of tissue. So it's a piece of tissue you place in formalin or you send that uh, in fresh. It's, it's a piece of tissue. It could be very small or it could be a, a, a specimen. Cytology are cells. And we study the cells. You have to place the cells in a fixation or in a formally also. And we study the cells, how they, how they are, how they relate to each other. And the stainings are different. The processes are different. And mainly in the same lab, they are different areas. So if you are in, in an EBOS, for instance, uh, you take with a needle uh, uh, a group of cells, these cells, they have to be fixed. And, yep. and then we present in slides and, and, and 
and we don't cut it. So the main thing is when you study cells, you study the whole cells. When you study a biopsy, what you do is you cut them through. So the tissue is cut. So it's, 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 uh, it's different. Yeah. And does that mean the histology samples will take longer on average to process in cytology because you're having to do that fixation? Absolutely, absolutely. So histology, you have to uh, fix the, the specimen, the tissue, and then you have to in, uh, process them uh, to put them in paraffin blocks. The paraffin blocks, they have to process overnight. Then they have to be cut and stained and okay. you place it in the slide. You put the cover sleep and we look at the microscope or if you are digital, you scan them and you look it in the computer. In the cytology, uh, it, it is. It could be very, very quick. So you place the the cells in a fixture, and then it, it, it can be centrifuge, or it can be a, a smear. You can fix it. You can leave it. Depending if if you leave it dry, you can stain it with a special stain, which is the Macron Balgimsa. Or if you fix with alcohol, you have the Papa Nicolau stain. So uh, it can be. You know, if if you are if if you if you are doing a rose and mm. you stand the, the, the cells in the in the slide and you can you can make a quick stain and you can look at in the moment so yeah. the process are they are totally different and just to explain to people who may not know roses rapid on-site evaluation which some people are doing for example during ebus procedures or during surgical procedures to say are you particularly ebus are you where you think you are have you got samples is that correct Yes, so ROSE is rapid on-site assessment, is mainly uh, related to cytology process. We use them in EUs, we use it in EBUS, and um, the, the, the main thing is to tell the, the surgeon or the bronchoscopist that you are in the right place, we have enough uh, tissue. Um, this is different to the same thing that, that we do very, very quick, which is the uh, intraoperative uh, yeah. um, study of the tissue. That is mainly done in the lab where we receive the tissue from the theater and we just process it very quick because we freeze the tissue, we make sections, we do a very quick staining and uh, we give a diagnosis. Even though and, that, and, that, and that's a frozen section that people talk this about. This is a frozen section. Yeah. So yeah. Frozen section and EBUS rows or EUS rows, they are totally different. Cytology and histology. So now a question, immunistic chemistry, how long does it take how long should it take? Um, so we're obviously desperate for the answer. Often in my MDT, our excellent pathologist would say, well, I know it's uh, uh, an adenocarcinoma, but immunos pending, um, and then we all have to wait. Um, how long does it take? And when should we be gently uh, pushing for, a, for an answer? The ideal, the idea. I am going to, I am going to talk about the ideal uh, turnaround times. Yeah. You take a biopsy, uh, in a bronchoscopy, you're taking a bronchial biopsy and you send it right away without no delays to the lab. The lab, what they do is they process, they place it in a block and is processed in a processor overnight. Then in the morning, it is sustained uh, and give to the pathologist. So this is, you know, what first day you take the, the tissue, you send it to the lab. The next day, the pathologist look at it. Yeah. And then you have the matoxylin. Then you request immunohistochemistry. The immunohistochemistry, normally you have to wait for a batch because it's a very you know, expensive. So you, um, the, the person who is taking all the requests, they take the block, they make some sections and they process in a specific 
machine and uh, with different antibodies. So normally it's the next day. So normally, normally in the ideal world is two days. Gotcha. Okay, that, that's really helpful. And I think I think the important thing for us to recognise is it varies um, from place to place. Um, and but I think that, that timeline is helpful. So thinking about markers. Um, Often my colleagues will come back and say it's an adenocarcinoma of lung origin, and they've done a number of different markers and they've told me that. What markers are the ones which lead us to believe it is lung cancer in particular, as opposed to a different type of adenocarcinoma? So uh, we have different types of, uh, of carcinoma in the lung, mainly big groups, where I am talking about the big groups. So we have the non-small cell lung cancer non or small cell lung cancer. Non-small, mainly I divided in adenocarcinoma and squamous. This is the, the most frequent one. Yeah. So for adenocarcinoma, we use TTF1. So if you have a tumor that is nuclear staining with TTF1, this is straightforward and lung primary adenocarcinoma. There are other markers like napsin, that is cytoplasmic, and CK7. CK7 is a keratin. It's not a specific, but it's very helpful. Uh, squamous cell carcinoma, P40. P40 okay. or, uh, you know, long, some years ago, P63 and CK5 and 6. But with P40 nowadays, it's enough to say squamous. So when P40 they are positive is, is squamous, and that would be enough for you to say this is definitely a squame. Yeah. And you don't no. need to do anything else on that. My understanding is you cannot tell whether the squame is coming from a lung or a different part of the body because all squames are the same yeah, is that correct yeah the problem with the squamous is they are similar and mainly right. when you are in lung when you're studying lung the main differential is head and neck a metastatic tumors oh, okay. because head and neck and, and lung uh, they are they are very very similar if you have a squamous from elsewhere because normally they are combined with another like transitional cell carcinoma in the mm. bladder you can use another markers or endometrial okay. cell carcinoma, they can have a squamous areas also. But, okay. you know, it is very, very difficult. We only use sometimes if we can compare P16 uh, to compare with head and neck, you know, just to make the difference with the metastasis. But normally squamous is, is, is difficult to make the gotcha. difference. And you mentioned TTF1, you mentioned napsin. So if something is TTF1 positive, we're going to be fairly confident it's coming from a lung or or thyroid, but let's say there's no concern about thyroid. What happens if it's TTF1 negative? Does that mean it definitely isn't lung or can you get TTF1 negative lung adenocarcinoma? Yes, absolutely. So it is very important to know exactly the antibody that you are using. So there are antibodies that are more specific like the G, uh, HG3, G7, G3, this is the more specific. Then are, there are others that are more sensible that SP124 or SP143. I think I am missing up, but this is the idea. So it is important gotcha. to know exactly the antibody you are using. Anyway, you have 95% of, of positive um, TTF1 in adenocarcinomas, but there is always 5% of tumors that are negative. It doesn't mean that they are not from the mm -hmm. lung. And if that's if they're TTF1 negative, can you use napsin, for example, you mentioned just yeah. to, to kind of double check or if it's TTF1 yes. negative, will it also be napsin negative? No, 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 no. We, we, we can use napsin and okay. it, this work is very helpful. And CK7, CK7 is very helpful in lung, the cytokeratin. Thank you. So we, you briefly touched upon small cell. Um, what, what are the small cell, classic small cell neuroendocrine markers that would say this is a small cell carcinoma? 
Small cell carcinoma is uh, on histology, they are different to the non-small cells. So they are kind of, you know, it, it doesn't mean that the cells are very small. Sometimes you have nuclei that are larger. And in fact, long time ago, it was called intermediate. We have, um, they, are, they have a very, very low amount of cytoplasm. The nucleus are molding together. Apart from mm -hmm. that, you have a lot of apoptosis and the T67 is really high, more than 75%. T67 is a, a proliferation market, right? If I understand yes. correctly. Yes. Okay, so very it's high levels are going to be poorly yes. differentiated, fast growing tumors. Yes. And, and very aggressive type of tumors. Yeah. We have markers that are, we use a panel. More than one specific marker is a panel. So you have a keratin. I always use CAM 5.2, and it has a very typical expression. So it's perinuclear dot. So you have the cell, and then there is kind of a, a dot. Uh, close to the nuclei. This is very quite a specific, not a specific, but very helpful. Then we have synapto, we have uh, the randocrine markers, synaptochromogranin CD56, and then I use also P67. Okay. It has to be very high. So with all this panel, um, I am quite confident, and the morphology, of course, always the morphology is important. I am quite confident of the diagnosis. We have to be careful with Merkel. Merkel uh, is very similar TTF1 negative, CK20 positive. And do, do all the synaptophysin chromogranins need to be positive for it to be a small cell, or can you still have a small cell carcinoma and negative neuroendocrine markers? Sometimes they do. Eleven, uh, yeah, uh, is uh, I think it's more uh, eighty-five percent of of cases they are positive. Uh, TTF one, for instance, can be negative. And neuroendocrine markers. That's what we always use three because if you have a very poorly differentiated CD fifty-six, should be should be positive. But uh, sometimes they are negative. So you have okay. to exclude another type of tumors like Merkel, a metastasis with CK20. But even though, even though sometimes they are negative in occasion, very occasionally. And that gets us on to large cell, which is really confusing. You've got large cell, you've got large cell neuroendocrine. What are large cell carcinomas? Um, and are they different to large cell neuroendocrine carcinomas from, from a pathological point of view? Large cell carcinoma is an undifferentiated non-small cell lung cancer. So it's an right. undifferentiated G4 type of tumor. And um, it, they, they, they can be um, different type of morphology. And large cell neuroendocrine carcinoma is a subtype of large cell carcinoma. So an undifferentiated type of tumor with neuroendocrine markers, neuroendocrine features. Okay. So I, and morphologically, they are a large cell neuroendocrine carcinoma is different to a small cell, the, the, the cell uh, is, is larger, more thick cytoplasm, nuclei is vacuolated. What we call it vacuolated is because you have the nuclei which is clear with a large nucleoli uh, and they are peripheral, large uh, amount of necrosis. So it's kind of different, uh, even though they are both neuroendocrine. And, and from a pathological point of view, do you see large cell neuroendocrine carcinomas nearer small cell in behavior or are they nearer, I don't know, adenocarcinomas in behavior? Um, they are, in fact, you can have combined tumors. The behavior normally, they <laughs> are very aggressive. <laughs> they can combine adenocarcinoma and tumors. So um, the behavior of this kind of tumor is very aggressive, so far as I know. And the most important thing, and for us, the most important thing now is the way you treat them. So um, it is important for us just to identify this neuroendocrine um, because I think you have different type of treatments. 
So it is important for us just to make the difference between a small cell, uh, non-small cell, and large cell neuroendocrine carcinomas. Even though neuroendocrine differentiation is very difficult sometimes in a small biopsies. We, we shouldn't say large cell neuroendocrine carcinoma in a small biopsies. Thank you. So the last three, four minutes, we're just going to touch upon PDL1, ALK, and ROS1 immunohistochemistry. We're not thinking about molecular testing in this particular podcast. Um, PDL1, first of all, becoming more and more important. Um, we are recording this um, uh, podcast in late uh, January, and we've just found out that uh, adjuvant atezolizumab is now about to be approved in in UK for PDL1 strongly positive. So it's another reason why we should be doing PDL1 in a number of different cases. How reliable is PDL1? Um, and can it change in time and depending on where it's been biopsied? Because what we yeah. might now find is we're going to do, do biopsy pre-surgery, and we may even be repeating the PDL1 on the surgical specimen itself. This is a very, very good uh, question. Um, PDL1 is not a very good predictive biomarker, to be honest, even though we use them, because as you say, it varies depending on the area you are taking the biopsy. And it depends also if the patient has been treated with chemotherapy previously. We know that chemotherapy can uh, increase the expression of PDL1 in patients that has been treated. But that's the way we are. And in fact, uh, even though, um, sometimes we are doing, sometimes no, the most frequent um, uh, request that we have is PDL1 in EBAS. And sometimes we have less than 100 cells, so we cannot be sure of it. Um, the expression is also difficult to, to interpret, we have to be trained. Uh, imagine, do we have to say this is more than 1% just to for the patient in a second or third uh, phase the treatment? Uh, it is easier when it's more than 50% because it's diffuse and intense. Yeah. So it has a lot of, a lot of caveats, yes. Interesting. So you have to have more than 100 cells. And if it's, there's lots and lots of it, it's easier. And if there's none of it, it's easier. But if it's halfway in between, it's a bit more tricky. Yeah. Um, finally, ALK and ROS1 immunohistochemistry. I've recently had a case uh, of a very strongly positive on immunohistochemistry ALK, which when it went for fish was actually negative. Um, how sensitive, how specific are ALK and ROS1 immunohistochemistries? And in your opinion, should we be double checking all of these with fish or um, uh, NGS or, or is the immunohistochemistry sufficient? Um, uh, if we start with ALK, ALK immunohistochemistry, previously, you, when you have a very strong positive ALK, you send it for fees. But it has seen that it, patients, cases with ALK positive, uh, strongly positive, they respond even though the phase is negative. So the most important in ALK is the, so there is some uh, uh, fusion alteration in the receptor. And uh, the most important is the production of a truncated protein. And it's this truncated protein that is, is, is what it like says that. that the patient is going to respond or not. That's why you have expression and it doesn't mean that the fish is going to be positive. That's why in my, in my opinion, and the guidelines say that it is not necessary to uh, do a fish af after an ALK positive uh, staining. That's different to what happened to ROS1. ROS1, uh, the most important thing is the alteration in the receptor. So um, uh, what we do with immunohistochemistry is an screening. So um, the most important is to detect the alteration in the receptor more than the truncated protein. So uh, ROS1, when we see it positive, we have to look for the face to know exactly the alteration. 
That's pretty, really helpful. Um, Angela, thank you very much for joining us. Any particular other points you want to make when we're thinking about uh, pathology? Any pleas from the pathologist about <laughs> what we should do in the MGT to make your life easier? No, I think, I think the, um, uh, yeah, to be, and you know, just to, uh, to communicate, that's the most important. We need to receive the, the right clinical details just to speed up everything we do. So we know that the most important thing is tissue. We have to be very careful with that. But for that and for the reflex testing, it would be very useful to have the adequate clinical information. Yeah, I agree with that. I think communication is everything that drives me nuts. In some MDTs you go to where they, because it's all online nowadays, someone say, pathology, what do you think? It's like, well, you do have a name. No one should be referred to as pathology. Uh, so I'd agree. I think communication um, and letting people know what's, what the clinical um, picture is, is enormously helpful. Um, that's our 20 minutes pretty much done. So uh, I thought it would go quickly. Um, so uh, Andrew, thank you very much uh, for joining us uh, in this podcast. Um, we, uh, this is a series of podcasts, as uh, people know. Uh, so thank you very much for listening. We hope this has given you an insight into lung cancer pathology. For more information on BTOG uh, and other educational events, and indeed how you can join, uh, you can visit www.btog.org and we look forward to you joining us for our next um, podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you.